Okay, guys, welcome back to The Well with Shan, and I'm sitting here with a dear mentor and friend of mine, Carol Collier. Um, she is going to be talking about loss and grief. She's entitled this topic, The Sojourn in the Valley of Weeping. And Carol, tell us just for a moment before we go into your formal introduction, just give us a little glimpse of what this valley of weeping mm -hmm. has been about. Mm. Well, um, in 2015, January of 2015, my husband lost his job suddenly, unexpectedly. He was 60 years old, and as you can imagine, losing your job at 60 years of age especially for a man who has spent his entire career in one industry, it was devastating. And um, I had just started a new job, and so the ground under my feet was a little bit shaky, and then this just really, um, as I say, it felt like our ship hit the iceberg. And it was very difficult for my husband to be able to get his bearings in losing a significant part of his life very suddenly. And what it meant for us was the loss of a very secure income. And then um, in the fall of really late summer of 2016, Scott began to experience some strange symptoms. He had twitching in his left leg, just this continual twitching. and. Um, after a few months, he went to our family doctor who took him off his statin drug thinking maybe that was related. And when it didn't clear it up, he uh, went through a battery of tests with a neurologist. And in December of 2016, he was diagnosed with ALS. And it was confirmed in January of 2017 at Emory. <clears throat> and this just was, um, for, for us, the ground had begun to shake with the job loss, and then this just was devastating news. Mm -hmm. And so, of course, there was so much loss that came with that diagnosis. We needed to quickly think about where we were going to live that would accommodate his future needs, and so put our house up for sale and sold it, lived in uh, kind of transitional housing while the house that we eventually moved to was being built. And um, so it was just it was just continual movement and shaking, and nothing was um, really secure. And they say that you know that if you have your health, then you have everything. But we had lost two really incredible, um, incredibly important anchors in our life. One, um, the significant income that we shared and then the loss of health with a terminal diagnosis. Mm -hmm. So, um, and then then Scott passed away in November of 2019. And so it was, um, you know, really from January 2015 through uh, November 2019, it, it was just um, a very, very difficult and uncertain time. And then, of course, COVID came right after that. Lovely so, COVID. Yeah. So we're going to pause right there, and um, and we're going to dig into that um, and talk about the, the nuances of all of that loss and what it meant for you specifically, mm -hmm. um, but really for your whole family. 
Um, but let's back up for just a moment because before this turning of the tide happened in your life, you and Scott weren't married 45 years. Mm-hmm. Um, you have three biological children, mm-hmm. two others, mm-hmm. and seven grandchildren yes. whom I know you adore. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have worked in administrative places, but also really ministering to the souls of women over the last decade. Um, but you and Scott were always involved in people's lives, mentoring, mm-hmm. shaping, counseling, walking with folks. And Wes and I were one of those couples mm-hmm. um, early in our parenting process. We kind of hit bottom mm-hmm. and um, kind of came under your discipleship through the through the sonship course. And then I think continued to meet two, three, four years afterwards, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, which had huge impact. So anything else I'm leaving out that just kind of gives our listeners just mm-hmm. a picture of pre-life to what Mm -hmm. you just described well uh, we did marry very young and um, both of us from South Jersey and three days after we were married we were on top of Lookout Mountain Scott was a student at Covenant College and um, we were beginning our new life together and uh, it was very exciting I was on the greatest adventure of my life so life just became um, you know he we we ended up staying here rather than moving on. He was going to go to seminary, and we ended up staying. And our life just took on the normal things of life, having children, um, being very involved in our church. Ministry for us was, some people have hobbies. Uh, we did ministry together. And so it was always Scott and Carol. Uh, rarely was it just Scott or just Carol. It was both of us together. Mm-hmm. And so we had really devoted ourselves from the time we were first married to ministry. And as we were coming into our six, 60s, you know, finishing our 50s, celebrating our 60th birthdays, um, we were same age, 40 years of marriage, we really believed we were on the brink of our glory years. Mm-hmm. That you know what we had we had really given so much of our life to ministry that we thought maybe this time in our life wouldn't be an absence of ministry but that we would maybe have time to discover the joys of being together and um, from a mature perspective rather than two 20 year olds (laughs) and so we were so hopeful and we were so excited about what the years ahead were going to be for us. Mm. And that was, um, I remember our children gave us a dinner in November of 2014 to celebrate our 60th birthdays, our 40 years of marriage. And uh, they, they wanted to honor us and just speak blessing over us. And I remember that night so clearly because it was such a night of joy and hope and um I, I mean, I think we both felt that this was it, that we were going to just, the, our glory years were right there. And then within a couple of months, it just disappeared. Um, everything that we had thought those years were going to be changed really in an instant. And in that instant, we didn't know that there was more to come, more losses. Mm-hmm. So um, that was... That was a lot of the grief initially mm-hmm. was that the loss of a future that we thought that we were going to have. Yeah. 
And I'm imagining there was some surprise, some shock, mm-hmm. some some jerking of the head where you're looking toward these hopeful, beautiful things and then suddenly coming to realize. Now, there might not be uh, many folks, I don't know, in our listening audience who have had chronic illness or a spouse with a diagnosis like Scott or have either lost uh, their partner. But grief does touch us all. Mm-hmm. It, it impacts every fiber on some level at any age. Could you describe and unpack that a little bit mm-hmm. for us? Well, I think that life is made up of lots of tiny little griefs. And then in there are the the big griefs, mm-hmm. and um, not n- grief is not the same for everyone, and especially when it when I'm thinking about the loss of someone, because who depending on that who that person was to you, and what the circumstances were of that loss, that grief has a very unique and particular um, nature to it. So my experience with grief is not necessarily like anyone else's or anyone mm-hmm. else's like mine. But I do think that there are some common commonalities in grief that all of us share. And um and I think that in a in not in a morbid way, but I think in a very um important way it it's good to become somewhat comfortable mm. with with grief mm. and lament and um, that's not something that typically in American culture we're very comfortable with right. but we will all suffer losses some greater than others and uh, there is a way through it mm. um, and that's not something I think that we're we're particularly practiced at doing. Mm-hmm. That is so very true. And it's um, it's hard work. It's painful mm-hmm. work. And we don't <clears throat> always have a, a grid, maybe, or a framework or the tools to know quite how to wrestle that process. So I just want to encourage our listeners that even though we're going to hear Carol's story through her own specifics Mm -hmm. and through her own um, grid or or framework for um, life circumstances that the greater thing we're digging into here is how do we wrestle well I'm going to use that Mm -hmm. word Um, (laughs) although I think we would both agree that in the dungeon it doesn't necessarily feel well Um, but how do we wrestle well with grief? Mm-hmm. So, Carol, let's get started here um, with just this journey. And I know one of the things very soon into Scott's diagnosis, you and I talked, and you said, I want to fully embrace this process. Mm-hmm. I don't want to run from it. I don't want to medicate I don't want to um, stuff it all down. I want to fully embrace this piece of God's call and journey in my life. So mm-hmm. begin to unpack what that mm-hmm. has has looked like for you. I think um, I, I think in terms of stories and pictures a lot. Um, I think that's why I love poetry so much. 
I felt that we were standing at the Grand Canyon of our life together, that this was the pinnacle. This was the fulfillment of that vow that we took when we were 20 years old um, that didn't really hold, it was untested, you know, that we would, we would endure to the end together. And this was it, and we had made it to the Grand Canyon. And I realized, I thought, I want to live it. I don't want an Instagram photo mm-hmm. of this. Mm-hmm. If I need to get on the donkey and ride to the bottom of the canyon and ride back, I want to do that. And I was very aware of spiritual bypassing, and um, and that was something I I was I was resolute in avoiding, which is, you know, quickly applying scripture. Um, you know, kind of a narrative that in in many ways can be numbing, like many other things we use to numb. And I just think I I had a sense that if I did that, that I was going to miss out on the greater thing, mm. which was God Himself. So I I was very committed to avoiding spiritual bypassing. I knew immediately, this was really when Scott lost his job, these thoughts began to take formation before the ALS diagnosis, is that I didn't want to do anything to harm myself. I knew that that would be a temptation, you know, to use food, to use shopping, any number of things that would, in the end, leave me in a darker, deeper place than where I was you know, even in, in currently having to deal with, I, um, I, I wanted to stay connected to people and I didn't want my story to um, cancel out theirs. I wanted to be able to still bear the burdens of other people. Mm. Um, I, I wanted to stay close to community and I, I wanted to be able to receive, and this was really a, a message that came to me, after the diagnosis, when I knew that our life now was going to be more public. We were very uh, connected to our church. Um, I was on staff at the time. And I feel like the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart and said, receive the gifts. And that as people came to us to give their gifts, whether it was a hug, tears, you know, food, whatever it was, that I was going to receive it and not Mm. judge the gift or the gift giver. Mm. And I know that was from the Lord because in walking into that conviction with obedience, it's as if the Lord opened up the floodgates and for the next several years, there was not a day that passed that someone didn't reach out with a text visits, calls, gifts. It was just a, a, an endless stream of grace that came mm-hmm. to us through God's people. Mm-hmm. And um, these things really sustained me. I, I did seek professional counseling. I After Scott lost his job, I knew I was in over my head. I knew that I needed a safe place where I could say what I needed to say. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and so I built that into my life immediately. And these things sustained me. And mm. I can say that walking out of that darkness, that those things that I felt committed to in the beginning 
did sustain me mm-hmm. and that they are trustworthy. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, I, I, I remained in the word, um, not in a legalistic kind of way, but I knew that I needed to hear God's voice because mm-hmm. it was very hard for me to hear him at different times. Mm-hmm. Um, and then worship, remaining in worship, um, private worship, worship with God's people. And um, they, they, those were lifelines for me that mm-hmm. um, in, a, in a time when my anchors were totally uprooted, I had um, these lifelines that sustained me. Yeah, that is so beautiful and so rich. Now, I'm wondering, and and we're going a little off script here with this question, (laughs) so forgive me, but I'm wondering what would you say to the person who says, I I try to pray, but I can't Mm -hmm. pray right now. I try to sit with the Word, but I can't even focus enough to read mm-hmm. um that that person who's just epicenter if you will feels so shaken that they don't feel like they can access mm-hmm. some of those things that sustained mm-hmm. you i had those times mm-hmm. many times not just um i mean sometimes those times lasted um a long time i really have come to see that prayer is not always a time set aside where you have a coherent flow of words but that sometimes prayer is a posture Mm. and so and and believe me I had night upon night upon night of sleeplessness where I would go into another room and sit in the dark and just just cry and I came to a place where I realized that that was prayer. Mm-hmm. That prayer is not it. Yes, it there. It it is, you know. That there is an aspect of prayer that is a coherent, you know, expression from the heart towards God, but that also just sitting with Him is prayer. Oh yes. And so, um, and and I found that the only words that. I could really kind of assimilate, process, and metabolize were the Psalms, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and again, I didn't do a methodical kind of, well, now I'm going to have my quiet time, and I'm going to read a Psalm and pray. Mm -hmm. It was too chaotic. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I released myself from the expectation that I needed to have a particularly, you know, um, a particular kind of quiet time with God, mm-hmm. it became something much different. Mm-hmm. It became a very organic, very raw, um, more of a posture of my heart mm-hmm. than the ability I had to just, you know, do it in an. I could not meet with God in wartime like I did in peacetime. Yeah. It was very different. But it was what really drove me into the heart of God Mm. in a way that um, is still with me today. And so, I love that. I just love that. So beautiful. And interestingly enough, uh, as you said that, a memory that Scott once said to me was that those very words, like, Mm. you're not going to practice a seeking of the Lord in the trench in the front line Mm. when artillery is coming at you that you will when you're not. And, And you really 
practiced mm-hmm. um, that posture. I think it was maybe Mother Teresa who also described that prayer is is listening. Mm-hmm. So it really can, in a contemplative worship kind of setting, take on a lot of different postures mm-hmm. and nuances um, than maybe we just stereotypically think. Mm-hmm. And, and that's beautiful, Carol. Now, you write a lot about being still, um, observing nature. You're a beauty seeker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, you have seemed to somehow find a new rhythm to life. Mm-hmm. Could you tell us a little bit about how, how'd you get there? Mm-hmm. Um, what does it look like to kind of position yourself there? Um, and what has being still in a busy, busy world done for you? Mm-hmm. I think the roots of it go back to um, the silent retreats that Scott and I did together. Mm-hmm. And he had done one on his own um, in 2011. And it was very profound in his life. Um, and he, And from that point on, he wanted to to invite me into that. Mm. So we did a silent retreat in 2013 and in 2014. And these were five day retreats. So we took the vow of silence and entered into four and a half days of silence before we broke silence. And God met us in profound ways. And even during that time, Scott and I didn't talk to each other. We didn't even share a room. So Mm -hmm. it really is a time of learning um, to be with the Lord in silence and solitude. So that was, that set kind of the stage for me. It was, um, and I loved those silent retreats. So I was very drawn to that. Going into this season of the sojourn in the Valley of Weeping, there is a loneliness in that. Um, even if you have tremendous support around you, which we had, we had our church family and believe me, they did it flawlessly. Mm. I have to say that Calvary Chapel walked with us through the Valley of Shadow of Death and they did not drop the ball. They were amazing. Mm. We had a wonderful care team with Dr. Alpers in the clinic and we had, we had the best support possible. Mm. But in grief, there is a deep loneliness. And being able to be with God in that very lonely place, in silence and solitude, is where there is a nourishment that can only come from Him. Mm -hmm. Um, Even the, the most skilled and loving people cannot give you what you need in those dark, dark places. Mm. So I think having practiced silence and solitude prior to all of this helped me to find it more easily in it. Mm. And it was in those dark, lonely places that I met God in a way that I had never before I met a God <laughs> that was new to me because even though I had 
a lot of knowledge. I mean, I've been in the faith a long, long time. The knowing of God in those places is so intimate, mm-hmm. so personal. Mm-hmm. It is, it's mystical. Mm-hmm. And um, so silence and solitude are now a practice in my life that I, um, I, I now gravitate towards. Mm-hmm. Um, at first it was a discipline and then it became a necessity. And now it is a pleasure mm. for me to just be in silence and solitude with the Lord. I am in a time of life where that's a little easier. <laughs> I am not working. I do live alone. But I'm not lonely in my aloneness because mm. I know that the Lord is with me. And I can't explain it. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not... You know, it's it's not explainable. Mm. I just know it. And there are times, like often when I get in bed at night, where I have a sense of him wrapping his arms around me. It is, again, something I can't quite put words to, mm. but it's real, and I know it. Mm-hmm. Wow. I just love the way you've developed that idea that it went from discipline to what what was your second it word there? It was a necessary. I mean it was mm-hmm. I don't know what I what word I used, but it was it was necessary. Mm-hmm. I had to mm-hmm. to and survive. To a pleasure. Mm-hmm. That that's really, really beautiful. Um you have and you're 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 dancing all around it with, with the pictures that you're painting for us and, and the words that you're using, but there's an authenticity here to to feel the pain, um, to know its rawness, um, to not deny the the loneliness of it, um, and yet you always emerge with this cord of hope um, and this ability to to see Christ in the middle of all that. And you're naming some things that kind of helped you um, on that journey. But um, what, what would you say to the, the person who's just not yet able to see beauty, not mm. yet able to see hope, not yet able to grasp where is Jesus in the mm. midst of this dark place? Mm-hmm. I, I asked those questions there were not just dark days here and there. There were dark days that one day rolled into the next, into the next, mm-hmm. into the next. So it was, a, it was um, I, I was confronted with those questions too, is, mm-hmm. you know, what is this, God? I don't get this. And, you know, if you want to glorify yourself, pick somebody else. Because, <laughs> I mean, <laughs> I'm not anybody that important that you you know, don't waste your time. Mm -hmm. And, you know, even wrestled with um, some entitlement, sense of entitlement that I had that I didn't know, is that, Lord, we've served you and sacrificed for you. Why would you take this away from us? Mm -hmm. And so, you know, all of that was very much in my experience. Um, And so losing the the rational cognitive ability to talk myself off the ledge Mm. didn't 
always work. Um, So I found that in my hopelessness is where my greatest hope was born. Mm. Because I was confronted with my inability to manage this, to resolve it, to fix anything. Everything that I thought that I was, which was a woman of God, a woman of the word, I know the gospel and believe the gospel. I know God from his word and experience. I felt totally um, kind of alienated from that at times, Mm -hmm. which surprised me. And it also really disappointed. I I disappointed myself. Mm -hmm. So in those times of great hopelessness, what I found was that this really was not up to me, that I could not cling. There were times where it was like, I, I had a conversation with the Lord with the Lord where I said, you know, I'm letting go. And if I sink to the bottom, I'm okay with it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, if, if I don't, it's up to you because mm-hmm. I, I, I've got nothing. Mm-hmm. I am exhausted. I'm confused. I'm angry. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm sad and I got nothing. So I'm letting go. So fine, God. It's up to you. Mm -hmm. It was at those points of utter hopelessness where my hope was shifted from anything that I was Mm. or could have been, Mm -hmm. should have been, was now transferred to Jesus. Yes. And I found that I could let go Mm. safely. Mm. And that was something that and the you know i think in the back of my mind coming you know before all this where there was always a sense that i needed to hang on that mm-hmm. sanctification is mm-hmm. about all of grace mm-hmm. and, perseverance and my, of the saints yeah, right and my effort mm-hmm. that you know this wasn't like justification where you know i'm dead in my sins and i'm made alive i'm passive mm-hmm. sanctification is active well, what do I do when I can't be active in my sanctification yeah. when I'm like, I'm done? Oh, yes. There is something about letting go and finding that God is sufficient to hold me mm-hmm. and that the gospel is realer than I thought. Oh, yes. That my security had nothing to do with my ability to hang on to hope even. Mm. And it was in the hopelessness that I found the hope that there is a God who loves me when I am ugly, because I was, I, I mean, I, boy, the, the, you know, I was not eloquent or elegant. I was a mess. Mm-hmm. There was a God who loved me in that. Mm-hmm. There was a God who still smiled at me. He wasn't disappointed. He wasn't right. angry. Mm-hmm. And that I was so secure in Jesus that I could let go and drown. Right. And that was my hope. Mm-hmm. And that is the hope that I live from to- today. And I am more free than I've ever been. Because oh, it's I like, bet you are. You know, it's like, <laughs> I'm, I'm an ugly mess. Mm-hmm. And I know who my champion is. And mm-hmm. it's not me. Yeah. What a glory to what find glory. out. Yeah. I'm 
not the hero of the story. <laughs> you know, so so when you are in a place where you've lost all hope, let go. Because there is one who is greater who will hold on to you. And he will not let you go. He will not let you go. And he will bring you out. He will. So powerful. And and the word you're using is exactly it. It's the freedom mm-hmm. to really authentically be able to be right where you are. Yes. And really trust that power greater than ourselves. And what assurance. Mm-hmm. What assurance. Mm-hmm. And I want to say I have seen that transition in mm-hmm. you. I really, yeah, (laughs) I really have. I mean, you're not who you were, and who you were was wonderful. (laughs) But there is a new, I feel it, a a new Mm. freedom, a new ability to. I don't know. I'm. I kind of picture a little girl in a dress dancing in in the wind. There's, there's this, um, there's this dance about you. Mm. I I can see it. that's a great way of putting it. I feel that. Mm. And I was thinking about that today. I, I'm taking Tai Chi. Ooh. Tai Chi, as they say. <laughs> and I love it. And today in our class, um, they were filming the class uh, as a promotional. And um, one of my friends kind of pushed me to the front, in front of the camera. And I realized that I, I it's not that I don't care what people think, because I, I love people. And my impact on them is really important. But it's kind of like I want to say, hey, I know how ugly I can be. I know how really nasty I can be. Mm -hmm. So anything you think of me can't compare to what I already know about myself. (laughs) But I am so loved that I'm going to get to the front of the line and go ahead. You can record me. I don't care. You know, so there is, there's just a buoyancy in my spirit Mm -hmm. that was born out of grief and sorrow and loss and death. Mm -hmm. And that isn't something, I'm not one of those people who say, oh, I would go through it all over again to have this relationship Mm -hmm. with God. I'm like, "Mm mm-mm. Would I choose a different story right now? Yes. Do I want Scott with me? Absolutely. His birthday was on Saturday, and it was, you know, a day of grieving for me. Mm -hmm. Um, I would change the story in a minute. God is beyond my comprehension, comprehension, and his wisdom is perfect. Mm -hmm. And I just entrust that this story that I don't understand, these puzzle pieces that are kind of dark and I don't get, I never will get, mm-hmm. not here, not on this side. Mm-hmm. And when you I get to figure the, it out. nope. Mm-hmm. And when I get to the other side, I'm not even going to ask. Mm-hmm. I won't need to. Mm-hmm. I see Jesus and I'm like, oh, okay. All, all is well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, um, but I do receive from him the graces that came mm-hmm. out of loss and sorrow and mm-hmm. grief and death. Mm-hmm. And, um, that has expanded my spirit. Mm-hmm. So incredible. Now, you are mid sixties. Is that right? <laughs> sixty six. Sixty six. I'll be sixty seven this year, and I keep reminding myself: in thirteen years, I'll be eighty. Mm. <laughs> so you know, there is a sobriety that comes with aging. Mm-hmm. There's a sobriety that comes with the loss of each loved one. I've experienced it in the season mm. of losing 
my dad and my mother-in-law. It, there's just a, a realness to it that I didn't feel two years ago oh, yeah. um, because of those losses. And, um, and some of that's what's motivated this podcast. Um, but at your age the, the, and my age, the things we have to look forward to, yes, children and grandbabies mm-hmm. and weddings and and uh, graduations and all these things but we also know that loss of health mm-hmm. um, more losses of loved ones are nearer than ever mm-hmm. in our own futures and and there's just I, I just keep using the word sobriety there's just mm-hmm. a, a realness now to that um, how do you face that with courage how do you get up in the morning and say I've already lost my spouse and I know these things are to come Mm -hmm. yeah it is it is very sobering to think for me that in 13 years I'll be 80 and um and that the greater part of my life is finished and that aging in and of itself is a um it's it, it's a hardship and a mm. suffering even mm-hmm. if you don't have any major catastrophic diagnoses mm-hmm. it's just hard i think billy graham said i knew how to die well but aging well is a whole different thing oh that's a word right yeah mm-hmm. and so i'm very i look at it very realistically and i often think about ecclesiastes and i don't see it as written by a grumpy old man I really think that, you know, I, I really resound with a lot of what is written there. Um, you know, I do every morning when I have my time alone with the Lord, I journal, I'm a, I love writing, is I always um, note the weather because it's like I'm a physical person in a physical world. And then my heart turns to just the gift of another day of life Mm. knowing that these days my robust days are limited now you know that there's a short time of robustness and then there's a rapid decline and so there is a sense of looking forward with great sober mindedness I love the verse that says you know, teach me to number my days that I may gain a heart of wisdom. Mm. So I look very practically. I don't have a spouse. So how do I need to plan for my future? How do I need to make sure my children are not burdened unnecessarily? Mm. You know, Lord, help me to see the signs so that I know when to give up something or change something. So there's very much a forward looking with practicality, mm-hmm. with sober mindedness. But there is also this exuberance in living each day. Like each day is so precious, Mm. so amazing. I can get out of bed by myself. I know what it's like not to get out of bed by yourself. Mm. Scott was, you know, at the end of his life, couldn't do anything for himself. Mm. Um, I, I I can go outside and talk to my neighbors. There is this just, I think, um... A magnified, amplified joy in each day Mm. because I know that 
the future is shorter for me. Mm-hmm. And it's very no, much... That, that's really interesting. It's not despite of. It's no. because of. And because of. Oh, that's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And I believe that we live in a both and. We don't live in an either or. Mm-hmm. And that the challenge that one of the things I, I, I really learned through the years of loss was living in the both and and that um, I can live there. And in fact, that's really the reality of life is that's that right. it is both dying and living mm. at the very same time. Mm. It's, it's kind of, um, it's, it's like a, uh, there's this word I love, penumbra. And it, yeah. it's the space, it's actually, it means like, has something to do with the eclipse where there's the shadow and the light, but there's a space in between the shadow and the light. Mm. Well, I don't live in the shadows, but I'm also not living fully in the light yet. Mm. I live in this space that is between. Mm. I can see the light and I can look back and see the darkness, but I can't live in either of those places fully yet. Mm-hmm. I live in this both and space. Mm-hmm. And it's it's a thin space sometimes where you know the the knowledge that heaven is closer and the life is further behind me now. But it's a beautiful space. Mm-hmm. And um you know so so living is like I am like living on all cylinders. Sometimes I do feel like I'm just a 20-year-old. Like, wow, life is so great. There's so much to do. And, um, you know, and so much to love. But it is because I know how short it is. Mm-hmm. And that the days Cherish are, it more. Cherish it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's a very hopeful place to live because I can't go back. I'm not yet called to go all the way forward. I get to live right here. And right here is enough. Mm. And it's good. It's mm. so good. Mm-hmm. Carol, that is so rich and so beautiful. And I, I just appreciate you sharing all of it. And for those of you who may not um, know, I, do you have any hope of maybe publishing your oh. poetry or, or oh. having your, yeah. your writing accessible to the public? Or? Well, um I've I've been invited to join a writers group. I'm going to oh, go nice. this week for the first time. Great. We'll just see. And then mm-hmm. my daughter Cat, she's given me some ideas about how to go about like even organizing everything I've written because there's a lot. And so I don't know. That's one of the things I just really hold to up to the Lord and say, you know, kind of you do what you want with it. Sure. You know, I'm I'm at the point in life where. Um, I, I don't have agendas for myself or even a plan, which is so weird because I'm a planner. You really are. I, yeah. <laughs> and I'm kind of like, nah, you know what? I, you know, God, you, you, you got this. If you want me to do this, I'll do this. You know, so, so it's nice. very freeing. Very freeing. Back mm-hmm. to that word. Mm-hmm. Well, I just want to invite you as we're kind of coming to a close. Would you share maybe a poem or two yeah. um, that you have written and, um, and, and just impart it to us. I think it, it'll be a nugget of gold. I am happy to do this. I, read the, I wrote this one just a few days after Scott died. Um, and it's titled, For My Companions on the Path of Love and Loss. 
O Lord, assist me as I place my foot on this untamed path. Let me not push and rush and wildly enter such holy ground. May every necessary tear water the ground underneath my feet, and every breathed out sigh open the air before me. Lift my head just enough to notice what surrounds me, but bowed without break to carry the weight of a great loss. May my tears soften and prism this new landscape of wild and sharp edges. Grace me to make peace with the quiet and stillness of this space that was once filled with the life and spirit of my love. My trust is in you, Lord Jesus. I place my hand in yours. And then I wrote this one um, soon after he died too. Lord, I do not ask you to heal my broken heart. It is not a scar formed to hold the pieces together that I desire. A hardened, raised, and sinewy place of remembrance, tight and unyielding, is not fitting for the land of the living. Let my heart remain fractured, and in that space between the pieces of my heart, may streams of grace and mercy and love flow becoming a sacred memorial and a place of nourishment for others. Beautiful. I remember reading that one when, when you posted it, and it, it's one of my favorites. Mm. Just beautiful, beautiful. Mm. Well, my dear, you have a gift, oh, and uh, articulating things in eloquent beauty is one of them. Thank you. And so I do hope the world gets to hear your poetry. <laughs> we shall see. We shall see. We're, we're living in freedom, but uh-huh. God does as he pleases, and that's okay. Yes. Carol Collier, thank you for being with me, for imparting um, your journey, and um, I know folks will hear it and and find wisdom mm-hmm. there. So, and who knows? Maybe we can do it again some other that time. Would be fun on another topic. Yes. Who knows? All right. Thank you, my friend. Thank you. <laughs> Take care. <laughs>